welcome to Where the Rubber Meets the Road with Safe Ride for Kids. Now, driving is the most dangerous activity that we do every day, but we realize your family has places to be and things to do. Safe Ride for Kids helps you arrive safely by equipping you with innovative products and unbiased information from our team of certified safety experts. I'm Greg DeRocher, and since 2012, I've been the co-founder and CEO of Safe Ride for Kids. Prior to that, for about 18 years, I was a first responder as a firefighter paramedic, and within that career, in 2000, I became a certified child passenger safety technician, aka car seat expert. Um, I decided to go into injury prevention because I came to realize it's better to prevent injuries than to deal with the aftermath of car crashes. I'm Amy DeRocher, co-founder and creative director at Safe Ride for Kids. I became a certified car seat technician back in 2004, and I write most of the content for our website. Plus, I'm a mother of three. And today, we're going to be talking about... Driving during pregnancy, and what you need to know about the statistics and possible injuries. You know, this is a really big topic that, um, you know, at Safe Ride for Kids, we didn't really realize... Um, all of the information uh, that was out there but wasn't talked about on this topic of driving in the car uh, during pregnancy, uh, the risks of it, and some of the injury mitigation things that are out there. And we got really uh, focused on it in about 2013 when we found an, a very innovative product that addressed the concern. But we, we didn't really realize what the concerns were because we had never looked at it. I knew as a paramedic that a pregnant woman was a high risk patient. Um, Amy and I had gone through a couple pregnancies at that point, And um, obviously we had that firsthand experience. Right. I knew that um, <clears throat> being in the car was not necessarily comfortable for a pregnant woman. Um, I always kind of wondered about the positioning of the seatbelt. Um, but I never really researched it until we found the tummy shield and and then we kind of dove deep in. Now, while we're talking about the subject, we don't we we want to really emphasize that we're not saying wearing the seatbelt's dangerous. What we're saying is that it does cause some injuries and we want you to be aware of that. But we absolutely want you to be wearing your seatbelt. It's definitely safer to be wearing your seatbelt pregnant than not you know last uh podcast we talked about uh the risks of the 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 four times fatality rate of being ejected from the car and that's you know once you're if an, if you're unrestrained and you're ejected from the car you're four times more likely to be killed in a car crash so wearing the seatbelt achieves the number one objective of all restraint systems, which is keeping occupants in the car. And the caveat to that is that the existing seatbelt system was never really designed, intended, or tested to provide optimal protection for a pregnant woman. Well, no, it was designed for the medium-sized male back in the 60s. Right, and that's, and you know. The design hasn't changed since then. They haven't anything different now, go ahead now that doesn't mean that they don't realize um 
back in to uh, I I can't remember what year this article came out, but uh, Steve Rohana, he was a senior technical leader for safety in Ford, uh, told an, a reporter for an article that the seatbelt is the best safety device in the vehicle today, but it doesn't mean we can't make it better. And they were talking about pregnancy and driving. <clears throat> so they know that it could be safer for pregnant women, but they still haven't made any changes yet. And I, I believe that article came out in 2005. He has since retired from that position. You know, and um, today we're going to be talking a, lo a lot about statistics and numbers. Um, and, you know, because Amy has written so much content on our, on our website, on our blog at saferideforkids.com, um, she's going to be, you know, really leading the, the conversation today. Um, I'll be popping in and out with the firefighter perspective on it um, and the crash dynamics perspective of it. But what we really want you to walk away from this uh, podcast with is an understanding that pregnant women have different, pregnant women and their unborn babies have different anatomy and different risks than the average non-pregnant occupant. And we're going to talk about what the actual statistics are around this topic. Um, we want to note too that while we definitely recommend wearing your seatbelt and NHTSA's recommended positioning for the seatbelt is to have the lap belt as low as possible. They actually say under the belly, but there was no under the belly when I sat down when I was pregnant. So I'm not sure if you have a space under your belly to put a seatbelt. Um, <clears throat> so low as low as possible um, over your hips and legs, over your lap, and then have the shoulder position mid-chest, mid-shoulder. So it's kind of coming between your breasts. But they also recognize that the seatbelt can cause injuries. Um, their old website, they've since redesigned it, but it, they used to say, when crashes occur, the fetus can be injured by striking the lower rim of the steering wheel or from crash forces concentrated in the area where the seatbelt crosses the mother's abdomen. Now, think about seatbelt positioning. Um, even if you get it low on your belly, as low as you can underneath your pregnancy, there actually isn't anything under your pregnancy because your pregnancy is down in your pelvic area, and that's right where the seatbelt goes. So the actual <clears throat> configuration of the seatbelt is, you know, if you reach down and feel on your hips for your hip bones, that's their, the, the bony structure that the seatbelt, the lap portion of the seatbelt is intended to contact. So, and if you think about any... Um, under stress, that seatbelt is going to seek a straight line between your seat, between your two left and right hip bones. That's also called the um, ACEs or the anterior superior iliac spine. And that's where the seatbelt is going to engage your hip bones. Now, especially, you know, at any time during the pregnancy, but especially later in the pregnancy, uh, it's not uncommon for the baby to be physically down in that area of the the woman's anatomy. And later in pregnancy, that is usually the baby's head that's down in the pelvic area. Correct. So the baby's head is between um, 
the two hip bones, and that's where, uh, especially later, the, the baby's head is in direct, the direct path of the compression forces of the seatbelt. So let's look at some of the um, statistics around how often are women, pregnant women involved in car crashes? Where do, what, how does that math play out? Well, pregnant women um, are in car crashes. They find a, a 170,000 a year are in car crashes and 116,000 report some sort of injury from that crash. And so, that's from the University of Michigan. And then there's about, what, like 4 million, 5 million reported car crashes every year, right? There's 5 million reported car crashes every year, and they estimate about another 5 million that go unreported. So those are like minor fender benders, single car right. type things. Okay, so there's also about 4 million pregnancies or 4 million births in the United States every year. Right. So when we do that math, uh, we're looking at like 116, 120 to 170,000 pregnant women that are involved in car crashes every year. Well, on average, 2.9% of women report being hurt in a car accident during pregnancy. Okay. Um, with that, it's important to also mention that there's no mechanism in the medical reporting system, like in the hospital, the mother's maternal um, health records, her um, injury reports, there's nowhere that tracks the occurrence of miscarriage after or as a cause of, or a car crash being the cause of a miscarriage. Meaning there's, even if, when a woman has a miscarriage, there's no questioning prior to that, you know, were you involved in a car crash during the pregnancy or anything like that? Well, for the first 20 weeks, they don't track miscarriages at all. And can you talk a little bit about our personal experience with this? Um, prior to our three children, we had three miscarriages. Um, the first one was at 10 weeks. Second one was at eight. And I think the third one was at five or six. So I barely even knew at that point. Um, but what we experienced was that, um, emotionally, <laughs> the loss of a pregnancy is devastating to a family. Yeah. The first one was especially hard. Um, I, w I went through a lot of blaming, wondering what I did wrong, wondering what I could have done differently. Um, I hear that a lot of women go through that when they miscarry. They, But on the other hand, the medical profession says, well, it happens so often that it's not a big deal. I mean, our during our first miscarriage, our doctor went from one telling us there was no heartbeat to two, asking us when we wanted to schedule our DNC. It was like, um, can I wrap my head around the fact that my baby is dead before we go digging it out? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was tough, and and we understand that, and that's actually one of the reasons why we're so passionate about this topic, because you know that was a you know ten week pregnancy, and we were already devastated by the loss, and we can only imagine what it feels like later, you know, after having months of connection and bonding and anticipation and excitement, um, to lose your baby 
in an instant in a car crash. Right. We were introduced to this woman named Taylor who actually lost her baby at eight months. And so she, they had the nursery set up. They had all the baby clothes. They were ready. And um, like we were mentioning earlier, her head was down and she was impacted by the seatbelt in a car crash. Taylor was sitting in the passenger seat, so there was no nothing else that she hit. And her only injury was from the seatbelt. But the baby had a, um, a, brain, a brain, brain injury. injury. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean... I, I could only imagine how devastating it is later on, yeah. considering how painful it was at 10 weeks. Yeah, for sure. So why is this becoming more of a topic? Now, we mentioned that in the 60s, they designed the seatbelt for the average male. And what's changed since then? Well, the seatbelt hasn't, <laughs> but what has? Women are driving more. So one study showed that... Um, women of reproductive age increased 275% their miles driven between 1969 and 1990. And I can only imagine in the last 30 years, it's gone up even more. Absolutely. I mean, that was between the 1960s and 90s. Like in the last 30 years, it's gone up who knows how much more. But think about you and your friends and family. Pregnant women are... In the workforce, they're working throughout their pregnancy. They're in all professions. Um, they're just putting miles on, you know, almost every family. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have any statistics for that. But think of the number of two-car families that you have now compared to back then. You know, so even when a woman is having her second and third children, they're, you know, she's driving them all over while she's pregnant with the, the next child. So um, we've looked at 25 different studies and we've gotten different averages for how many pregnancies are lost during car crashes. On the low end, it's about 3,000. On the high end, it's about, uh, I'm sorry, on the low end, it's about 300. On the high end, it's about 5,000. So we usually go um, in between and, and say an estimated 3,000. And again, it's an estimate. They don't keep track of records um, prior to 20 weeks. And then after 20 weeks, sometimes they don't make the connection between a car crash and a miscarriage that might happen a few weeks later. So it's kind of an unknown, but that's, that's an estimate. And that's relevant because, you know, think about the other injury prevention education campaigns that have been put in place over, over the years. Um, obviously, the most recent one has been around children who die in hot cars, and that is a um, certainly an issue that needs to be addressed. But when you look at the actual statistics, on average, over the last ten years, about thirty-five to forty children have been have died in hot car-related deaths. Now, about half of those are children who get into the car without the parent's knowledge. So the car's parked, the kids get into the car and never come out. And the other half where the child is locked in the car, um, and Amy might be able to clarify those statistics a little bit, but. Typically it's 33% who get in on their own. This year it's um, closer to half because of, you no know, people aren't driving as much during 2020 in the, 
COVID pandemic. Yep. So, um, but the reality is, is that, you know, and then when you compare this to children who die in swimming pools or children who die from house fires or children who die in car crashes after they're born, you know, on average in the U.S., uh, over the last few years, it's been somewhere in the 350 to 400 children dying in car crashes. From zero to four. From zero to four, yeah. Um, another interesting st- uh, study that we found uh, compared the nine months of pregnancy and the, the risk of fetal, uh, f- fetal, fatal fetal injury that three times fast um, to the nine months after the child is born when the child is riding rear facing in a certified child restraint system or kids car seat. So the study found that during pregnancy, the baby was at five times the risk of being fatally injured in a car crash as opposed to or contrasted with the nine months after they're born when they're riding in the car seat. Now, here's the interesting thing about this study is that it only looked at cases, um, and it was a limited number of cases, but cases where both mom and the baby uh, had died from the car crash. So what this means is that, like Taylor's case, where baby Bailey was fatally injured in the car crash, but mom survived, all of those cases were not looked at. So only so the five times uh, higher risk of fatal injury comes from the uh, you know a scenario where both mom and baby die, but does not include any of the cases where the the mother ended up in a in a stillbirth or a miscarriage as a result of the car crash. So that five times the risk could be much higher. We have no way of knowing. So what are the possible injuries, the fetal injuries um, during a car crash. The, the most common one is probably the placental abruption. Um, also, uterine rupture, direct fetal injury. Of course, you're probably not going to survive if the mom dies, so that's, that's bad too. Um, you know, and that's actually been the primary focus of the safety and medical community over the years. Keep what, mom alive. And that will protect the baby. And that's true. You know, speaking as a, as from the you know paramedic side of things is yes, keeping mother alive and oxygenated is the number one priority. Um, because obviously, uh, if, if we don't achieve that goal, um, the baby's odds of survival <laughs> drop significantly. Um, but that, I don't believe that that's where we should stop. Um, I think as a as an industry, we need to do a better job of actually proactively preventing this uh, cause of injury, which is the seatbelt itself, doing its job of restraining the mother in the car crash. Um, what do you want to talk about next, sir? I was just going to add um, that placental abruption uh, occurs with 30 to 50% of major trauma injuries. And will you describe what that, what is placental abruption? I think you're probably more medically inclined <laughs> better to describe that than I am. Okay, so 
The placenta is a large um, organ that is the interface between the mother's circulatory system and the baby's circulatory system. Think of it like a a big um, big balloon that your baby's inside <laughs> of. But and it's it's more it's like another liver almost. It, it's just a very very vascular. Um, it, it's like almost all blood vessel, and its job is to pass oxygen and nutrients from the mother to the baby's blood supply. So it's this. It's, it's this, and the, the abruption is that it actually, um, fractures. And so it's a big muscle, but under extreme severe stress, it can be injured and, and tear or, or break almost, um, which as you can imagine would lead to severe bleeding. So that's. And the other issue there is that the abdominal cavity itself uh, is able to expand. You know, there's there's room for that blood to uh, bleed in very high volume, uh, which is a huge problem. And it's not just uh, when babies die um, from car crashes. They also get injured that affects them for the rest of their lives. The um, inventor of the tummy shield invented the tummy shield in the first place because his first daughter was born with a brain injury. Now she's alive, but she's been impacted for her entire life. She's 20 some years old now. Um, And that caused him to look into some studies and find a better way to, for his wife to wear the seatbelt. What happened in his case, he wasn't even in a crash. He slammed on the brakes. His wife was in the passenger seat, and her injury was a bruise from the seatbelt. And that's what the doctors have gone back to and decided that that's what ha- what caused the brain injury when yeah. their baby was born. Exactly. And it, it, was, it wasn't diagnosed until you know months down the road. Um, their daughter had been born, uh, and then over the coming months, uh, they determined that she wasn't developing on schedule. So they started looking into it and ended up with a neurologist looking at her and he was looking at her symptoms and he concluded, um, you know, through the testing and everything else that it was actually a traumatic brain injury. It wasn't a genetic, uh, problem. So when they looked back at when could she possibly have been injured, they went through the, you know, going back through their memories and there was this one time where he had slammed on the brakes and uh, his wife had gotten this bruise across her abdomen or across her, her hip area. Um, and that was determined to be the only time, the only cause, the only time that it, the injury could have been caused. So one of the studies um, looked at how often this is discussed. Um, we talked to Taylor, we've talked to many women, their doctors never bring it up. They, they say now the study shows that 48.7% of healthcare providers discuss driving during pregnancy. That means more than half do not discuss it. Um, the difficulty here is that mommy brain has already set in and only 27% of those women remember talking about it with their doctor. 
So already less than half talking about it and even fewer than that (laughs) are remembering talking about it. Um, So we, we've been trying to reach out to doctors and let them know that there is more information out there that they can share. Um, We've written a guide that we're happy to send them so they can share that with their patients. Um, But that's something that definitely needs to be discussed is driving during pregnancy because obviously 3000 pregnancies lost every year is, is not a good number. It's not, it's devastating to a lot of parents. So we want to do what we can to help that. Um, which brings us to our safety tip for this week. And that is join us next week. Cause we're going to go over all kinds of driving <laughs> while pregnant tips. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, the first and foremost, where is it? Wear your seatbelt. Now, we say that and we emphasize that because we have talked to, I don't know how many women, but many women over the last eight years who admit, sometimes kind of sheepishly, that the seatbelt was so uncomfortable that they chose to not wear it. And that is putting them and their baby at even greater um, risk. Even greater risk. So we know that it's uncomfortable. We know that there are risks from wearing it, but you are putting yourselves in significantly higher risk if you do not wear the seatbelt. Okay. So, shake that (laughs) off. That's a heavy topic. Um, Now, our parenting tip this week is let go of how you thought you're going to parent. (laughs) Um, I, I have to say we're all the best parents before we actually become parents. Greg and I had lots of conversations, um, even on our first date, about how we are going to parent. And let me tell you, some of our plans just did not happen. Right out the window. (laughs) And I think the biggest reason for that is every child is different. And every child shows up with their own agenda, their own personality. personality. (laughs) And and you, you can try to parent them all the same and they turn out different so you have to you have to be flexible be flexible flexibility is the key and with that thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time or we'll listen we'll talk to you next time (laughs) have a great day bye